We've been doing a series in the Old Testament, and today I would like to take an example of how we can take a story that in the Old Testament, a historical account, and how we can apply it to ourselves in our own situation. And one of the keys is to really understand the context that we're not taking out of context. And the other thing is to understand the spiritual dynamics that are going on, that we can see how that fits into our own spiritual situation. And I want to share a story that's very, very precious to me, means a lot to me, and I suspect means a lot to some other people who are here today. And this is from Isaiah 37, and I've entitled it, Can God Be Trusted in the Darkest Situation? Have you ever been in a situation in your life where there's the potential of something really bad happening. Something that's really, really bad um, could be something you don't even want to think about. And I, you're, you're desperate, you pray about God about it, to God about it, and you just wonder, does he care? Is he with me in this? Uh, and this, this event is coming nearer and nearer, and you're just feeling like panicking. Well, that is the kind of situation that we're dealing with today. And so let's start off then, we're going to be looking at Isaiah 37, but let's start off at looking at some context of this in Isaiah 36. In the 14th year of King Hezekiah's reign, King Sennacherib, king of Assyria, marched up against all the fortified cities of Judah and captured them. The king of Assyria sent his chief advisor from Lehish to King Hezekiah in Jerusalem, along with a large army. So let's have a little bit of background here. Uh, after the time of David, we have King Solomon. And when King Solomon died, his, his uh, son was very foolish. And because of the way he behaved, the kingdom was split into a northern kingdom, which had 10 tribes, and a southern kingdom, which was just basically Judah and Benjamin, and um, also had Jerusalem, and it was the largest of the tribes. And so they weren't quite equal in size, but um, they, they were the splitting of the kingdom, and the northern kingdom began to deteriorate spiritually faster. And uh, it wasn't long before the northern kingdom was all, were all taken into captivity. And, well, I say it wasn't long. There were a number of generations of kings, but it was certainly faster than the southern kingdom. Um, but the southern kingdom began to deteriorate spiritually. There were ups and downs. And then we have a point where there's a revival. Hezekiah becomes king, and he really seeks after God and begins to turn the nation back to God. During this time, then, the Assyrians uh, are, are taking the cities of the north captive. They wipe out the northern kingdom effectively, and then they turn their attention to the southern kingdom, taking some of the cities captive, and then coming to the capital city, which is Jerusalem. So who are these Assyrians, this nation attacking 
Jerusalem at this time. They're one of the proudest and cruelest races ever known. Here's a, a symbol of the Assyrian lion, and this 15-ton lion symbolizes the Assyrian goddess of war, Ishtar. And with huge teeth, they chomped their way through nation after nation. And um, later on in this account, we read of, of 185,000 men dying in the army. Oh, that sounds like uh, an exaggerated number. But archaeologists tell us that some of these ancient nations had the most phenomenal logistics and planning that could support massive armies of 200,000 people. And there's a book, The Great Armies of Antiquity, which in which he says, a single weapons room in Sargon's palace at Dur-Sharukim contained 200 tons of iron weapons, helmets, and body armor. That's just one room. 200 tons of armor. They were so well organized in terms of supplying their army. A fighting machine with terrifying efficiency. And uh, here's another sketch made from some of their drawings, some of their relief. And um, this is an ironclad wooden battering ram with two beams fitted with iron tips. The beams are at the, the lower half there. Um, you can see them smashing away at the wall symbolically. And uh, the, the men at the top with the bows and arrows are not to scale. They're, uh, <laughs> but um, they are... They are um, attacking the city and the man on the wall is holding his hands out in surrender and uh, not seen in this image uh, behind it um, uh, are naked men and men impaled on stakes and fallen soldiers lying in a in the in the battleground and the Assyrian sculptors made great efforts to depict even the most gruesome details of war. And I'm going to show you a picture now which uh, you can close your eyes if you don't want to see something gruesome. And uh, I'm going to just show it quickly. There it is. And I'm passing on from it. It was a picture of a prisoner having their um, organs of sight removed with a sharp spear. And uh, I'll put it like that for the sake of any children that might be here. Um, and uh, the pictures like this and far worse, far more gruesome pictures that were used as decoration in the palace. Um, I'm sparing you the really bad pictures. These people specialized in cruelty and they were incredibly strong and efficient in their war machine. When they were attacking a city, they'd besiege it so would no one could get in or out and they would die of hunger or thirst. This is another relief depicting their army um, attacking a city, besieging a city. If anyone escaped, they took great delight in slowly, painfully killing the people in front of the walls of the city so everyone could see. And um, so I wonder if your own personal troubles are get coming into perspective a little bit now when you see what Jerusalem was faced with as this huge army came around them. Well, 
Some years early, they captured the capital city of the Northern Kingdom, the, the, uh, the city of Samaria, and they took the entire nation to captivity. And then they began work on the Southern Kingdom. And we see uh, this is this is an archaeological image of the the remains of Lehish, which is this is this in front of you. What you are seeing now is the ramp they built of earth and stone up against the wall so they could destroy the city. And this is still remaining. We can still see because the city wasn't rebuilt. We can see what they did to attack this city. So now they were coming for Jerusalem. Now, the other thing to remember, which is important context, is Jerusalem and Judea had just had a revival under the leadership of King Hezekiah. They got rid of all the altars to their false gods and um, they had just had one of the most wonderful Passovers, the Bible tells us, in the history of the nation of Israel. They were worshipping God in, 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 in truth. And they're true, they were not perfect. They still had a lot of sin. But this was an honest effort to trust God. It was a revival spiritually. So, um, the, the city of uh, Lachish was captured. The army is approaching Jerusalem. And here's a, an image that we have that the Assyrians did of actually taking Israelites captive from the siege of Lachish. And they commemorated their victory with this picture. And you can see the captives being led away on that. And it's actually, uh, we can actually learn something of the, the clothing that the Israelites wore at that time from this. So, and it's also important for our, our knowledge of certain aspects of the culture. So these, but this is, this is not far away. This is the city that's just fallen and now they're coming for Jerusalem. So that gives us some context of what's happening. So now let's move on to our passage and we'll read what, read the story of what happens. In the 14th year of King Hezekiah's reign, King Sennacherib of Assyria marched up against all the fortified cities. Oh, we just read that. Let's move on. Um, verse, uh, um, the chief advisor stood at the conduit of the upper pool, which is located on the road to the field where they wash and dry cloth. Eliakim, son of Hilkiah, the palace supervisor, accompanied by Shebna, the scribe, and Joah, son of Asaph, the secretary, went out to meet him. The chief advisor said to them, Tell Hezekiah, this is what the great king, the king of Assyria, says. What is your source of confidence? You claim to have a strategy and military strength. Your claim is just empty talk. In whom are you trusting that you would dare to rebel against me? Look, you must be trusting in Egypt, that splintered reed stuff. If someone leans on it for support, it punctures his hand and wounds him. That is what Pharaoh, king of Egypt, does to all who trust in him. So there was another superpower to the south of them, which was Egypt. And often nations would have allegiance either to Egypt 
or to Assyria, hoping that that one of them would defend them against the other. So he's assuming that maybe they've got a treaty with Egypt and they're trusting Egypt. He says, they won't help you. Perhaps you will tell me, we're trusting in the Lord our God. But Hezekiah is the one who eliminated his high places and altars and then told the people of Judah and Jerusalem, you must worship at this altar. Now, he doesn't have very good theology. He doesn't realize that actually that was the good thing that Hezekiah did. And it would, it, um, it was part of the revival. But it's interesting that he knows this fact. Now, make a deal with my master, the king of Assyria. And I will give you 2,000 horses, providing you can find enough riders for them. Certainly you will not refuse one of my master's minor officials and trust in Egypt for chariots and horsemen. Furthermore, it was by the command of the Lord that I marched up against this land to destroy it. The Lord told me, march against this land and destroy it. So he's claiming that that the Lord, and it's Yahweh's name he's using, actually authorized him to attack, which, of course, couldn't possibly be true. So this is his speech to the uh, the leaders in Jerusalem. Eliakim, Shebna, and Joah said to chief, the chief advisor, speak to your servants in Aramaic. For we understand it. That was the language of the, of the East that the Assyrians would speak. Don't speak with us in the Judahite dialect in the hearing of the people who are on the wall. In other words, we don't want our people to hear what you're saying. But the chief advisor said, my master did not send me to speak these words only to your master and to you. His message is also for the men who sit on the wall. For they will eat their own excrement and drink their own urine along with you. In other words, there's going to be a famine that just drives people to this. The chief advisor then stood there and called out loudly in the Judahite dialect. Listen to the message of the great king of Assyria. This is what the king says. Don't let Hezekiah mislead you, for he is not able to rescue you. Don't let Hezekiah talk you into trusting in the Lord by saying, the Lord will certainly rescue us. This city will not be handed over to the king of Assyria. Don't listen to Hezekiah, for this is what the king of Assyria says. Send me a token of your submission. In other words, like a whole load of gold and surrender to me then each one of you may drink from his own vine and fig tree and drink water from his own cistern until I come and take you into a land just like your own, a land of grain and new wine, a land of bread and vineyards. In other words, I'll take you captive to another land. Hezekiah is misleading you when he says the Lord will rescue us. Has any of the gods of the nations rescued his land from the power of the king of Assyria? Wow, what a challenge. Where are the gods of Hamath and Arpad? Where are the gods of Sepharim? Indeed, did any gods rescue Samaria from my power? Who among all the gods of these lands have rescued 
their lands from my power. So how can the Lord rescue Jerusalem from my power? They were silent and did not respond for the king had ordered, don't respond to him. Eliakim, son of Hilkiah, the palace supervisor, accompanied by Shebna the scribe and Jorah the son of Asaph, the secretary, went to Hezekiah with their clothes torn in grief and reported to him what the chief advisor had said. Pretty discouraging, and particularly notice that Barb at the end, none of the other gods, so how can your god? This was the Assyrian god, the god Nisroch. And uh, when, they, when they came, it was really a battle between this god, which actually represents an evil spirit. It's a god, but behind the god is an evil power. And a battle between this and the true gods. So this god was depicted as an eagle-headed deity with wings and exaggerated muscles, a bit like a, a, an ancient superhero. And so this, this god, Nisroch, uh, is the one who is, is uh, cl- they're claiming, is giving them all the victories. And uh, he is going to be stronger than the enemy. <clears throat> Do you ever feel that it's not fair that you worship the true god Yet bad things happen to you. Imagine how Hezekiah felt at this time. The horror and the terror. Was God really going to come through for him? How come the Assyrians did so well, though they served an evil spirit? Like they served this evil God. What could this God do against the true God, but but what, look what was happening in the world. And so there's, there must have been such a tension, such a, 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 such a, a battle going on inside Hezekiah because he was offered freedom. Okay, he'd have to surrender his, his kingship and sovereignty and the people would be taken away, but hey, he wouldn't die. Um, do you often, do you ever ask, does God really care about me? Does really God really see my situation? Is he a father that I can trust? So this is how he must have felt. If God didn't answer, then he would face the most excruciating death imaginable. I won't describe the kind of things that would happen to him if God didn't come through and the Syrians ended up by winning. But you can feel the pressure that was on him right now, I'm sure. You can feel what it was like for him right at this point. He had a decision. Was he going to trust God and risk the very, very worst possible thing happening? Or was he just going to go with the flow? Well, let's carry on, shall we? When King Hezekiah heard this, he tore his clothes, put on sackcloth and went to the Lord's temple. Eliakim, the palace supervisor, Shebna, the scribe and the leading priests clothed in sackcloth sent this message to the prophet Isaiah, son of Amos. Now, this is Isaiah who's writing it. He was the main prophet at that time. This is what Hezekiah says. This is a day of distress 
insults and humiliation. As when a baby is ready to leave the birth canal, but the mother lacks the strength to push it through. So what he's saying is we're trying to really have a return to God in this nation. It's almost like a rebirth spiritually of this nation. And like right in the middle of it, the nation is destroyed. Um, Perhaps the Lord your God will hear all these things the chief advisor has spoken on behalf of his master, the king of Assyria, who sent him to taunt the living God. When the Lord your God hears, perhaps you will punish him for the things that he has said. So pray pray for the remnant that remains. So um, this is the message that gets sent to Isaiah. When King Hezekiah's servants came to Isaiah, Isaiah said to them, Tell your master this. This is what the Lord says. Don't be afraid because of the things you've heard. These insults the king of Assyria's servants have hurled against me. Look, I will take control of his mind. He will receive a report and return to his own land. I will cut him down with a sword in his own land. When the chief advisor heard the king of Assyria had departed from Rehish, he left and went to Libna, where the king was campaigning. So um, Hezekiah um, sends this message, he prays, he sends this message to Isaiah, and Isaiah comes back and says there's going to be a reprieve, and there is, there's a temporary re- reprieve. Um, the, the, the emperor of Assyria Here's a report of something else in his empire. He has to leave and disappears, but it doesn't last long. Um, soon the king returns, the emperor of uh, Assyria returns. And um, things. And this takes us on to the next bit of the text. Uh, the king heard that King Tirhaka of Ethiopia was marching out to fight him. He sent messengers to Hezekiah, ordering him, them, tell Hezekiah of Judah this, this. Don't let your God in whom you trust mislead you when he says Jerusalem will not be handed over to the king of Assyria. Certainly you've heard how the kings of Assyria have annihilated all lands. Do you really think you'll be rescued? Were the nations whom my predecessors destroyed? the nations of Gozan, Haran, Rezef, the peoples of Eden, in Talasar, rescued by their gods? Where are the kings of Hamath, the king of Alpad, and the kings of Leah, Sephar, Aim, Hena, and Eva? And so this is his new challenge. This is like the second time he brings a challenge. So what happens then? What happens? Well, here's the most amazing and wonderful part, and this is the core of the message that I want to bring to you today. We're right at the heart of things today. Hezekiah took the letter from the messengers and read it. Then Hezekiah went up to the Lord's temple and spread it out before the Lord. And this is the image that I just want you to to remember to hold in your head if you if you remember just one thing from this sermon today it's this image of him taking uh, this this all of these threats all of these 
things that made all these things of fear and spreading them before God in prayer. So he gives this to God. He gives this this letter to God, this horrific letter. Hezekiah prayed before the Lord. O Lord, who commands armies, O God of Israel, who is enthroned on the cherubim, you alone are God over all the kingdoms of the earth. You made the sky and the earth. Pay attention, Lord, and hear. Open your eyes, Lord, and observe. Listen to this entire message Sennacherib sent and how he taunts the living God. God, can you see how this reflects on you? We're your people. I've been serving you. Look what it's going to look like if these taunts come true. It's true, Lord, that the kings of Assyria have destroyed all the nations in their lands. They have burned the gods of the nations. For they are not really gods, but only the product of human hands. Manufactured from wood and stone, that is why the Assyrians could destroy them. Now, O Lord our God, rescue us from his power, so that all the kingdoms of the earth may know that you alone are the Lord. He see that that's that's really beautiful the way he's put that because he's not just saying you know I'm in trouble please get me out of it he's saying God this is about your honor as well because I'm serving you I'm 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 I've been leading this people towards you and everybody knows this this has become known so once again Sennacherib is mocking the true God and. Hezekiah spread this letter out. And I want to ask you, do you ever feel like this? You're, you're so desperate and desolate and you just spread it out before God. This, this um, made a big impact on me when I, I re- first read the story. And a number of times, quite a number of times, I've had times in my life that feel like this. Of course, they're nothing like this level of, of threat. But they feel like this. And I feel like I just have to lay it out before God and figuratively just put it before God and say, God, here it is. This is what I'm being faced with right now. And I, I just want, I want to challenge you to, to really take this image in. Take this image to heart because this is such a powerful image of what it's like to depend on God and to rest on God. And some point, if you haven't had a Hezekiah experience in your life so far, then you probably will in the future. I've experienced where you're just out of options. It doesn't seem there's anything that you can do that will be the right thing to do. And But if God doesn't come, come through for you, then you are in trouble. So what will God answer? God answer, God's answer is quite shocking. Um, I would love to have seen the, the face of Sennacherib when he read it. And the answer is to laugh at Sennacherib, to laugh at him. And really to up the stakes, and to say, who do you think you are? And I just love these words because they're just so powerful, so full of confidence and just such a extraordinarily powerful word from God. 
Isaiah, son of Amos, sent this message to Hezekiah. This is what the Lord God of Israel says. Because you prayed to me concerning Sennacherib of Assyria, this is what the Lord says about him. And then we have the message that, God, that Hezekiah is to send to Sennacherib. And uh, I want you to imagine what Sennacherib's going to think of it when he gets it. She despises you. She laughs at you, does the virgin daughter Zion. So he's, he's picturing Jerusalem as being a girl who's just laughing. He's just, she's just, oh, what do you think you're doing? You really think you can attack God? You can, you think you can? This is just ridiculous. Um, whom have you taunted and held insults at? At whom have you shouted and looked so arrogantly? At the Holy One of Israel. Though through your messengers, you have taunted the sovereign master. I know where you live and everything you do and how you rage against me. Because you rage against me and the uproar you create has reached me, reached my ears. I will put my hook in your nose and my bridle between your lips and will lead you back the way you came. In other words, I'll treat you like a donkey and lead you home. So this is the message that they're given. This is the message he's told to send back again. And uh, uh, he's um, told to write this out and to send it back to him. So uh, is this going to calm the situation? Is, Is Sennacherib going to say, oh, Okay, well, God's against me. I better go home then. Um, it's not, is it? This is going to inflame the situation. Um, I wonder, do you know the end of this story? Who, who, who's watching this knows the end of the story happens? So you know the end of the story. So um, if I was to tell you, well, actually, things didn't turn out that well and uh, Sennacher came and destroyed the city, Hezekiah got killed, you'd say... What kind of a preacher are you, Andrew? (laughs) You're supposed to be encouraging us right now. You probably get that story has a good ending here. I'm I'm sure you know where I'm going with this. Um, So um, uh, this is this is uh, this is going to to uh, end well, I promise you. But before we go any further, Isaiah then has a prophecy that he has to uh, to this nation he says this will be a reminder to you and this is this is directed to israel to hezekiah this will be a reminder to you that i have spoken the truth this year you will eat what grows wild so there's a problem here they've been besieged they've not been able to plant food what are they gonna are they gonna starve because there's no fields to, to to feed from they're all they're all trapped in the city this is a real problem um, but God says this year you'll eat what grows wild. There'll be enough food growing wild for you to eat next year. What grows on its own? In other words, I'm going to make everything grow up by itself, crops and, and harvest by itself. But the year after you will plant seed and harvest crops, you will plant vines and consume their produce. So not only am I going to free you from this army, but I'm going to look after your physical needs. 
Those who remain in Judah will take root in the ground and bear fruit. For a remnant will leave Jerusalem. Survivors will come out of Mount Zion. The faithful love of the Lord who commands armies will accomplish this. God will do this for them in his chesed love. He will, he will be there for them. So this is what the Lord says about the king of Assyria. He will not enter the city, nor will he shoot an arrow here. He will not attack it with his shielded warriors, nor will he build siege works against it. He will go back the way he came. He will not enter this city, says the Lord. I will shield this city and rescue it for the sake of my reputation, because of my promise to David, my servant. To what happened? The Lord's angel went out and killed 185,000 troops, which is probably most of them. In the Assyrian camp, when they got up early the next morning, there were all the corpses. So King Sennacherib of Assyria broke camp and went on his way. He went home and stayed in Nineveh. One day, as he was worshipping in the temple of his god, Nisroch, in other words, he's worshipping this god who he claims is protecting him and is looking after him while he's worshipping his sons, Amamelech and Shareza struck him down with a sword. They ran away to the land of Ararat. His son Ezra Haddon replaced him as king. Wow. Wow. That's what his God did for him. So Hezekiah and the city were saved. And as I said before, the size of the army is about what we know from archaeology. And the king was killed in the house of the very god he boasted in. Now, it's actually quite interesting when we look at the archaeological evidence for this. Um, not long ago, I saw an interview with a, a high-profile Mormon who left Mormonism and became a Christian. And they interviewed him, and he was saying, you know, he, when you read the Book of Mormon, there are all these places that are named, but you look at the archaeology and they're just not there. There's just no evidence for them. And the interviewer, who wasn't a Christian, the interviewer was a reporter and said to him, but don't Mormons believe in the Bible as well? Like, don't you believe in the Old Testament? Oh, he said, the Old Testament, that's a completely different deal. I believe in the Old Testament because you can go there. Like, all of the places that are real places, you know, the evidence is fantastic for the Old Testament. And uh, there is some evidence from history for this event. So um, if you look at Egyptian sources, so Assyrian sources are not very explicit about defeats they have because they tend to prefer the victories. But the Egyptians actually record this and they make mention of this uh, Sennacherib's defeat in this conflict with Judah and uh, that there was this destruction of the army and uh, course they they explain it was their gods that did it but they but they document this happening um, but there is also some written evidence which is quite extraordinary so uh, oh, this is the god that he was supposed to have been worshipping that failed him and here's the written evidence uh, this is called the prism of king Sennacherib and this beautifully pre preserved six-sided hexagonal prism of baked clay 
um, commonly known as the Taylor Prism, was discovered among the ruins of Nineveh, the ancient capital of the Assyrian Empire. And I don't know if you can see there, but each panel, each side is absolutely covered in writing. There's a lot of writing on that. It contains details, lists of the victories of Sennacherib himself, this this Assyrian king, the, the very king who was involved in the story. And each one, it would say he attacked the city and he was victorious. He attacked the city, he was victorious. And when it comes to, comes to King Hezekiah, it says, and we can read this in the writing, on that prism, I shut Hezekiah, up, the Judahite, up like a caged bird in his royal city. I shut him up in his royal city like a caged bird. And we can read that. It's there in the, in the writing. Um, and, uh, but, so we have the description of attacking, but conspicuously absent is the victory. That's normally there. There's nothing. Nothing is mentioned there at all. Um, so, and then, uh, and, and also why he never attacked them again. So that is the uh, that's the extraordinary documentary evidence that written evidence of this story and this attack that we had, and uh, uh, later God utterly destroyed the Assyrian Empire, and um, we read in the book The Great Armies of Antiquity by Richard Gabriel, um, he says so complete was the destruction of the Assyrian capital, that's Nineveh that two centuries later, Xenophon and his Greek mercenary army of 10,000 men passed by the ruins of Nineveh, unaware of what they were passing. Not a single vestige of Assyrian power remained. A people who lived on the Tigris for more than 2,000 years had literally disappeared from the face of the earth. That's what their God did for them. That's what their God did for them. So I want to bring this down now to us. We have a story in the Old Testament. We have an account. We've looked at the context of it. We looked at what was happening spiritually and what was happening in terms of the history. We've looked at the spiritual dynamics of what's going on in terms of prayer, in terms of of attacking the name of God, in terms of trusting God. And we want to apply this to ourselves. How do we apply this to ourselves? Well, I think that uh, we can very, very honestly uh, and intentionally apply this to ourselves because the situation spiritually can be the same. Where we're in a situation we've got into because we are following God and because we're intending to honor him and be honest and just and upright. And we are, we have a, a... a horrible attack on us and it is just it's just so bad that if god doesn't come through for us then it's going to be unbelievably bad and i want to challenge you and ask you uh, do you have any situations like this in your life today they don't have to be as bad as this of course um but they might seem as bad do you, do you ever feel that the devil is mocking you um, do you feel that he's challenging you? Is God a good father? Because really, that was the challenge. 
that was underneath what Sennacherib and his, his official were saying is, can God be trusted? Is he a good father? And this is how the devil wants to challenge us. And uh, when you have to stand against the forces of evil, do you want this God on your side? Uh, and I want to ask you, are you following are you following God? Are you following Jesus? Because if you're not, then you have nothing to fall back on. You are, you are like these other nations who will just fall to the evil forces. And there are evil forces. These are real forces. So I want to, I'm going to pray now. And I'm going to bring this to God. And I want you, as I pray, I want you to to ins- if you have something you would like to lay before God, if you have a letter like Hezekiah to lay before God, I want you to do that figuratively as I'm praying. And just think right now, what would you like to give to God? What situation in your life would you like to bring to him and say, God, I want you to have this. I want this to be your problem, not mine. I want to give this to you so you can demonstrate what a faithful and good father you are. And everyone will see that you're a faithful God who answers prayer. So let's let's come to God now and bring this, this to him in prayer. Heavenly Father, we praise you for this wonderful story. We praise you for this amazing story of how you answer prayer of the most desperate. And we want to bring to you now, Lord, whatever it is that's in our hearts, whatever it is, just bring it to God right now. Lay it before him. Lay it before him. Give it to him. God, we want to give you this problem. We want, Lord, we ask that you would take it, you would answer it, and you would have the glory. Because we follow you, we want to serve you, and you are our Father. So we give it to you now, Lord, and we pray that we will have the joy of proclaiming your name, proclaiming to the world what you have done for us, because you are such a faithful God. Amen.